What do you want most from your marriage? What's your goal? Do you just want to be happy? Do you want to be fulfilled? Just want to raise some good kids and grow old together? Those are all fine goals. And if it's working for you, more power to you. But here's what I know. Even though that's what many of us want, that may not be what you're experiencing right now. In your marriage, there's not a lot of happiness or fulfillment. And the kids, well, they add their own level of stress. Or maybe they're out of the house and they can't distract you anymore. So it seems like the only thing that you're accomplishing in the marriage so far is the growing old part. I know, it's kind of bleak, but don't turn this video off just yet. Here at Community Christian Anywhere, we believe that even though marriage and life in general can be difficult, tiring, and confusing, Jesus offers us a life that is full of joy, meaning, and rest. But it's a life that requires us to move the goal and focus of our life from being simply about our own happiness and pleasure to Jesus' central command, which is to love everyone always. And I believe the good and pleasing way of Jesus is possible for your life and your marriage, no matter who you are or what you believe about Jesus right now. Because no matter what you think about God, I believe He can't stop thinking about you. He is for you and He has only good things in store for you. And throughout this video, we are going to examine how to experience the best possible marriage by shifting your focus to something more substantial than your own happiness. Hi, my name is Heidi and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. Now, whether you're married or not, here's my guess. You want to be happy. And if you do get married, you think, well, the whole point is to be happy, right? I mean, why would you get married if it wasn't going to make you happy? And if you're not married, that might be the reason why you think all married people are miserable. Or you were married, and the reason you're not is you were miserable, and so you're not gonna do that whole thing again because most of us make nearly every decision based on what we think will make us happy. But let me ask you an important question. What does it take to be happy? I mean, especially happy in marriage, because let me tell you, romance and passion and even good sex aren't enough. Then when you got kids, everyone knows, and they're gonna bring a ton of love into your life, but they're not always gonna make you happy. And if the point of marriage and even really the point of life is to be happy, then we need to figure this whole thing out. Recently, there's been a lot of research into what makes for a good life. Is it happiness or is it meaning? And nearly all the research points to the same thing. If you shoot for happiness in life, you rarely get it. The idea of happiness, man, it's just out of reach. No matter how happy you feel, it always feels like you could have been happier, or that you've been happier in the past, or that other people, well, they're happier than you. Happier is not really a standard by which to measure how good and pleasing your life or your marriage is. But if you shoot 
for meaning in your life, you often end up being happier. Meaning and purpose are longer lasting and more fulfilling than just momentary pleasure. And we all know this because we've all had a fun-sized candy bar. I mean, you're happy in the moment, but it's not that fun for that long. I mean, sure, you can eat more fun-sized candy bars, but well, then you don't feel good after about 20. It's a lose-lose situation with the fun-sized candy bars. But you get my point. Maybe our problem with finding a life of happiness all stems from misunderstanding where happiness is really found. Most of us tend to think that happiness is found in getting our circumstances just as we want them or indulging in some kind of hedonism, which is just seeking out pleasure and fun. So in marriage, we think, well, a happy marriage is an exciting one where every day is an adventure full of romantic dinners and fun and new experiences and we have the same interests and the same taste in movies and music and since we think pleasure is key then we always have to feel that passion we did when we were dating and things like sex get a disproportionate amount of weight in our happiness i mean we should just be on each other all the time and if we're not something's wrong and if these are the metrics we use to make sure we're happy, then are any of us happy? A professor of psychology from Florida State University named Roy Bomeister researched human happiness and said, if you are aiming strictly for a life of hedonic pleasure, you may be on the wrong path to finding happiness. He says, for centuries, traditional wisdom has been that simply seeking pleasure for its own sake doesn't really make you happy in the long run. In fact, seeking happiness without meaning would probably be a stressful, aggravating, and annoying proposition. Why? Well, because someone else is always having more fun, more excitement, more sex. You can never have enough pleasure to satisfy your desire for happiness. So Bomeister argues, instead, when aspiring to a well-lived life, it might make more sense to look for things you find meaningful than to look for pleasure alone. A good life is a life of meaning because, well, if you shoot to have a life of meaning, then in the end, you're happier. You may not get all the pleasure that you want, but pleasure and happiness are not the same thing. So if we're shooting for meaning over happiness, what makes a marriage meaningful? What gives a marriage purpose? While the writers of the Bible consistently point to the purpose of marriage, well, it's really no different than the purpose of any other situation or circumstance we find ourselves in. It's an opportunity for us to grow in holiness. Whether we're single or married, whether we love our job or hate our job, whether we've got kids or just roommates who act like children, every circumstance, Every situation, every person is an opportunity for us to grow in holiness. And the purpose of marriage is no different. The goal of our marriage is not our happiness, it's holiness. When most of us hear the word holy, we instantly think of like stained glass and cathedrals and priests in robes. We think of choirs and communion elements and some special water that you can use in case you have to fight a demon. Most of us think of holy as being something that is untouchable and easily defiled by human contact. And 
This is partially because the word holy means set apart for God. It's something that is special or different from ordinary things. And so for human beings, we immediately think that that means that we need to get holy things away from us. Holy things need to be set apart from us. It's like when I was a kid, my mom always kept her wedding china in this special cabinet that we never used. We always knew it was there, but we knew not to go anywhere near that china. And no matter how many dirty dishes we had, we could never use it. Why? Because then it might get dirty and then we couldn't use it for, I don't know, whatever or whoever, because we never actually used it. These were special plates that were set apart for a purpose that no one understood. <laughs> and this is what we think it means to be holy. You keep yourself clean and pure and good. For what reason? Just because? There's no greater purpose than being able to say that you never did anything too dirty or wrong and that you always stayed in your cabinet. And none of us ever want a life like that. I mean, come on, let's be honest. But this isn't the best picture of what holiness is. Holy does mean to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different, but for a purpose. When you look at the whole story of the Bible, you see a story of God interacting with people. He chooses one man, Abraham, and then he builds his family, and that family becomes the nation of Israel. And when God rescues his people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, he tells them, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This was God's covenant with the people of Israel. It was a commitment, not unlike the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. You will be my treasured possession and you are to be holy, set apart for my purpose in this world. Over and over again, God told the people of Israel that they were to operate as a nation fundamentally different than all the other nations of this world. Everything from the way they were to live morally with the Ten Commandments and to their national day of rest every seven days to the way that they care for widows and orphans and foreigners. It was a completely different kind of nation. And in this way, in the special and distinct way that they lived, God would bless them and they would be a light to the other nations of the world, revealing God's glory and His love for all people. Being holy wasn't about staying clean or removed from the rest of the world. Being holy was about living in such a way that God's will could be done through them. It was about living a life of meaning by wholly setting apart your life for God's purpose in this world. So instead of thinking of holy in the terms of like precious china locked away in a cabinet somewhere, Maybe a better example is to think of holy in terms of a cast iron skillet. It serves a very specific purpose, and so it needs to be treated in a specific way. You don't clean it like you do your other pots and pans, and you've got to season it in a distinct way. In my house growing up, it had its own special place in the house, and we knew only mom was allowed to touch it. Not because it held some sentimental value like wedding china, but because it had a very specific purpose and not everyone was able to respect and appreciate that. 
But when my mom used it for its purpose, it could do things that no other pots and pans could do. And the food it created was, dare I say, glorious. It was set apart from all other cookware. It had a specific purpose, and so it couldn't be used like everything else was. It was holy. God has a specific purpose for your life and for your marriage. The life of meaning that you're looking for, it's not found in a continuous pursuit of pleasure or momentary happiness. It's found in living a holy life for the God who made and designed you to reveal His glory and His love for all people. For followers of Jesus, we belong to the same spiritual family of God as the people of Israel who God made His covenant with all those years ago. In fact, one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy named Peter, wrote to a community of Jesus' followers, and he, he echoed these same words of God to the people of Israel. He said, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. When you and I choose to follow Jesus with our lives, we step into the story God has been telling since the creation of the world. We are given the same purpose for our lives that the nation of Israel had before Jesus, that in everything, we would reveal God's love for the world. Now, you may be watching this and you're not sure you even believe all we do, and so you're really just tempted to turn this whole thing off, but I hope you'll stick with me through the end because I believe this idea offers some hope for you and your marriage as well. See, Jesus invites us into a life where nothing is ordinary. Everything in life is an opportunity for God to make us holy. And for followers of Jesus, what makes us distinct or set apart or holy is how we imitate Jesus in all things. The goal of all things for a follower of Jesus is to live like Jesus would if he were living our lives with your job and your friends in your neighborhood and in your marriage, you can live just like Jesus. And so every moment, every circumstance, no matter how pleasing or tragic, no matter how difficult or trying is an opportunity to allow God to shape our lives into the image of Jesus. This is a holy life because Jesus lived completely differently than anyone else. He was honest no matter the personal cost. He was humble and gentle in how he selflessly served others. He was patient, never needing to force his own way, and he was the very definition of love towards all people. Respectable, despicable people alike, friends and enemies, all were equally cherished and loved by Jesus. This is what it means to be holy for followers of Jesus, to be like our master. And so when it comes to marriage, our goal is bigger than our personal happiness. Our goal is to be made holy, to be made in the image of Jesus. And marriage gives you a lot of opportunities to practice being like Jesus. Think about when Jason taught us on submission. Through marriage, we are given opportunity after opportunity to submit to our spouse, to let them have their way. And submission in marriage can be an even bigger challenge than at work or with other people. I mean, no one knows how to push your buttons like your spouse. No one knows how to irritate you like they do. 
and nothing can feel more infuriating or taste more like failure than losing an argument with your spouse. But when you choose to put them first, you're taking a big step into being formed in the image of Jesus. But they don't just know everything about you. You know everything about them. You know the ugly side of their personality that they hide from the world. You know their deepest mistakes and failures. And often, those have been things that have wounded you. And when you choose to forgive, to not keep a record of wrongs, to choose to believe the best about them, all these things that love does, you are choosing to be like Jesus. This is even more true when you're in a difficult marriage. When you're unhappy with your spouse, when you want to manipulate and intimidate or blast them with an ultimatum to change, but you choose to be patient and to be gentle, to be humble instead, you resemble the same Jesus who didn't force you to change, but instead patiently suffered the cross to woo you to Him. When you're at the end of your rope and every day doesn't feel like marital bliss, it feels like misery, all you want to do is just walk out the door and find your happiness somewhere else. But you choose to stay and to love and to serve. You model the unconditional, never failing love of Jesus to a world filled with canceling and ghosting and shallow commitments. But if your goal is your happiness, what feels good to you, you're never going to choose this because submission doesn't feel good. Forgiveness doesn't feel like happiness. Patience and gentleness and commitment isn't comfortable, but it looks like Jesus. It smells like holy. It is the path to you living a life of meaning because you're living out the purpose of your life to be formed in the image of Jesus and reflect his love and goodness to the world around you. The most beautiful and holy moment in all human history is the moment when Jesus patiently suffered through the humiliation and pain of the cross to purchase new life for you and for me. The reason that this moment is so holy is because it reveals to us the distinct and full revelation of who God is. God is not an angry, violent, judgmental ruler who compels worship and forces His will upon people. And if you don't comply, He is just waiting to catch you in your sins so that He can punish you over and over again. Our God is holy. He is distinct from any human idea or notion of what God would be. He is the suffering servant who willingly went to the cross for those who would betray Him, mock Him, and spit upon Him. He would choose to lay his life down for his enemies and in doing so, win them over. Victory from defeat, life from death. This is the picture of God that Jesus wants us to have. And he was willing to die to make sure that it is what we most remember. And then he commanded each of us to go and do likewise, to take up our cross and follow his example in every moment with every person. And here's what's even more peculiar about all of this. One writer of the Bible explains that it was because of the joy awaiting him that he endured the cross. Joy and happiness is not how most of us would describe the cross, but Jesus knew that true happiness and joy are rooted in something much deeper than momentary pleasure. The cross was not pleasurable, but it was meaningful. 
It was holy. It was the primary way that God would reveal His love for all people. I think when many of us hear that marriage and life is about more than our happiness, we might be tempted to think that God doesn't care about us being happy, but I don't think that that's true. Over and over again, the writers of the Bible explain that happy are those whose lives are pure and who follow the Lord's teachings, and that the will of God, His purpose for your life, is good and pleasing and perfect. But it doesn't always feel pleasing in the moment that you're on the cross, or you don't always feel happy when you're following the Lord's teachings to forgive, but you're being made holy. You are being made like Jesus, and that that's the best life that you could ever live. You see, God is interested in your holiness, not only for His own sake, but also for yours, because holiness will lead you to thrive in life, and there is true happiness in human flourishing. But if you shoot for happiness alone, then you'll settle for empty pleasure. But if you aim for a holy life, there is joy and true happiness awaiting you. Now, maybe for you, it's hard to see the joy awaiting you because your marriage just feels like something you're having to endure. Staying together for the kids or because maybe it's financially, it's just easier or because the shame of a divorce would be too great. You feel like you're just doomed to a miserable life and marriage. Can I challenge you today to choose the path of Jesus, to choose holiness over momentary happiness? Because when you choose holiness, you become a different person, a person who loves and serves like Jesus, but also one who sees your spouse and your marriage like Jesus does. And it just begins by seeing your circumstances as more than a hardship to endure, but an opportunity to be formed in the image of Jesus. When the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, wrote to Christians living in the ancient Roman colony of Colossae, he spoke to them about how Christian husbands and wives should love and submit to one another. But before he did that, he wrote instructions to the entire church community about what it means to be holy. And I think these instructions are a great challenge for any of us, whether we're married or single. I mean, this is what it looks like to love everyone always in a practical sense. But if you're married, I don't want you just to hear these as commands for Christian living, but as a playbook for your marriage, especially when it's hard. Paul wrote, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, husbands and wives and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, you have any grievances against your spouse? Then forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Would you consider picking one of these things? Just practicing them this week with your spouse, not because they deserve it, but because as you do them, you will be modeling the behavior of the Jesus who died for you to make you holy. So could you try compassion, which is just like a gut level tenderness and care that you show for another person? 
When's the last time you felt that kind of deep compassion for your spouse when they made a mistake? Or maybe it's kindness, which is to lend to someone the strength they don't have in that moment. This means not throwing their mistakes in their face. No sarcasm, cutting remarks, only encouraging and loving words. Maybe it's humility, which is about putting other people first, not making everything about you, but choosing to value your spouse's needs above your own. Gentleness, which just means to not force your own way. Don't win every fight. Don't manipulate or intimidate or use ultimatums to get what you want. Just love and serve. Maybe it's just being patient and bearing with their mistakes. Maybe it's forgiving past hurts and not because they deserve it, not because it makes you happy, but because in all of these ways you are imitating the God who loves you. You are being made in His image. I bet as you do, you'll notice you're a little less focused on your unhappiness. You're a little less focused on what you don't like about your spouse and what they've done in the past, and you'll begin experiencing life the way it was meant to be lived, a life lived like Jesus who modeled for us what human flourishing looks like. And in some peculiar sense, that is totally distinct and dare I say, holy, human flourishing looks like the cross. It looks like laying down my wants, my desires, my happiness, and shooting for something greater. And as I do, there is joy awaiting me on the other side. So don't give up, choose holiness. And as you do, your marriage will fulfill its purpose from God and your holy Christ-like love and commitment for your spouse will be a light to the world that points to the God who loves them enough to die for them. It's possible, you just have to choose it. I hope this video was helpful for you and that you want to discover more of what God has to offer your life and your marriage. Attached to this video, you will see a playlist of more content exploring what it means to live the meaningful life of love Jesus offers. Please make sure to watch one of these videos, subscribe to our channel, or follow us on Facebook so that you can keep in touch with all the great content that we put out weekly but we really hope that your interaction with us moves from just being content that you consume to being a community that you're committed to because the kind of love that Jesus designed us to experience and share with others can only exist in relationships. So please reach out to us through texting the number on the screen and we can help you step into a relationship with others who are also engaging with our content weekly. Or visit our website, cccanywhere.com, and you will see a lot of ways to get connected to our community here, including the card that says, join our Facebook group, where you'll be redirected to our Facebook community. You can click on a button that says, join group, and you'll be able to connect with other people from around the country who are learning from Jesus what it means to love everyone always. I hope to see you there. But no matter what steps you take today, I hope you leave knowing that no matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you.